help others. Well, Galatians chapter 5 tonight, I want you to join me again in verse 22, and I'll read verse 22 and verse 23, and then I want to ask you to leave your Bibles open tonight, and we'll look, uh, look, work through this together. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Against such there is no law. Leave your Bibles open. Let's pray. Father, bless the Word of God tonight. Lord, you never promised to honor a preacher's word. What preachers say don't really matter as far as our thoughts and our opinions about things. But Lord, you did promise to honor the Word of God, the Bible. And Lord, I've seen you do it time and time again. So tonight I pray that in the hearts and lives of your people and maybe those who may sit among us that's never been saved, I pray the Word of God will reach into their heart and help them tonight and bless us. Lord, don't let me say anything that would be out of the will of God. I don't want to say anything to be out of God's will, but I want to say everything to be in the will of God. So I pray that you'd help me to do that tonight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Beginning way back in the month of January of this year, we started in our Sunday evening services making our way through one of those lists of words that we often find throughout the Word of God. This list being called, being commonly referred to as the fruit of the Spirit. Now again, if you'll notice in verse 22, the word fruit is singular. So we're not talking about the fruits, plural, of the Holy Spirit, but simply the fruit of the Spirit. And the one truth that I've tried to emphasize over and over again throughout this series of messages is the fact that the moment that you and I accept Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit of God moves into our lives and takes up His abode. He takes up His residence in our lives. The Bible simply says it like this. In 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you. So when we got saved, the Spirit of God moved into our bodies. Now in the Old Testament, we know in the Old Testament that God had a temple for His people. We know that. God instructed Moses. Later on, Solomon came on the scene and they built a building and God dwelt in that literal building building. So God had a temple for his people. But when we come across into the New Testament after the resurrection, the death resurrection of our Savior, we find that God now has a people for his temple. In other words, God lives in us. This building that we dwell in, we call it a church that we're in tonight. We call this a church and this is a place where we come to meet with God. But in reality, if you're saved, your body is a church. Your body is a temple of God and you can meet with God not only on Sunday, but thank God Monday and Tuesday and throughout the whole week, you can worship and fellowship God. So God lives in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. And at the very moment the Holy Spirit moves into our lives, He goes to work in our lives. And He works on us. And He works in us. And He works for us. And He works through us. And He begins to do His holy will in our life with one holy purpose, and that is to cause you and me to become more like Jesus. To resemble Jesus. Again, in Bible terminology, we read these words right here. The Bible said that the Holy Spirit longs to conform us to the image 
of his, of his son. In other words, God, the Holy Spirit, goes to work in our life, and he does so to cause us to resemble Jesus, to make us more and more like Jesus. I've said this before. I'll probably say it again a hundred times before I die. But God has only one son. That's Jesus. He has only one begotten son. But once you and I become the sons of God, the Bible said that God desires all the rest of his children to resemble his one and only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we're in this list. Because in reality, what we have in verse 22 and in verse number 23 is nothing more than a picture of who Jesus is. If you want to know what Jesus was like while he was here on earth, all you got to do is read verse Verse 22 and verse number 23. Because we have a picture of what Jesus was like, what he did, what he was like, who he was while he was here upon this earth. Then amazingly, God looks at you and me and says, okay, I want to reproduce, the Holy Spirit wants to reproduce the life of the Lord Jesus within us. In other words, the Holy Spirit goes to work on us, causing us to have the same nine flavors of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, we started weeks ago. Look at verse 22. We started weeks ago with the word love, and we called love this. We called love the charity of Jesus. Did you know something? The Holy Spirit wants us to love people like Jesus loved people. Now, I know that's hard and that's difficult, but the Holy Spirit wants to reproduce within us the charity of Jesus. And then he doesn't stop there because he then moves to the to the word joy, the Holy Spirit wants to produce the cheerfulness of Jesus. Can I tell you something? Jesus wasn't a cosmic killjoy. Jesus wasn't a miserable person to be around. He was a joy to be around. And the Holy Spirit wants that same joy that Jesus had while he was here on this earth. In spite of all of his problems and difficulties, the Holy Spirit wants you and I to have that same joy in our life. There's love. That's the charity of Jesus. There's joy. There's the cheerfulness of Jesus. There's Peace, there's the calmness of Jesus. Did you know the Holy Spirit wants us to have the same peace in our heart that Jesus had in his heart while he was here on this earth? I get it. I'm like you. I'm upset about where things are going and how things are, uh, uh, the, the direction that we're moving in right now and, and what we see coming down the pipe. Oh, I get so upset about all that. I listen to Hannity and, and uh, I watch uh, some of these uh, Tucker Carlson and these guys and I just fret and I'm upset about it and I want to fight and I want to get a gun and shoot. I mean, all of that. But can I tell you something? The Holy Spirit said, whoa, boy, I want you to have the calmness of Jesus about you. Amen. So there's love, there's joy, there's peace, and then there's this, long-suffering. That's the compassion of Jesus. You take that word long-suffering and say, preacher, what's that mean? Turn it around. He suffereth long with people. Aren't you glad that he's a long-suffering and a patient Savior? I promise you this, if I would have been him when it come to me, I'd have cut me off a long time ago. But aren't you glad he's long-suffering? Aren't you glad that he suffereth long? Aren't you glad for that good verse in our Bible that says, this, God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all come to... Aren't you glad that God is long-suffering with you and with me? Aren't you glad he's a God of a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance? And then the Holy Spirit said, now I want to produce that same kind of compassion within each one of my children. There's long-suffering. Then there's next, there's the word gentleness. That's the, that's the care of Jesus. 
Jesus was a kind person. He was gentle. Boy, we ought to be kind. Boy, kindness has gone out the window in these days. People aren't kind to each other anymore. And the Holy Spirit says, hey, I want to cause you to be kind. If there's any place and any people in this world that ought to be kind, it ought to be the people of God. Am I right about that? If there's any place people ought to be able to come and feel kindness and see kindness, it ought to be the house of God. Can I have an amen? And the Holy Spirit wants to produce that gentleness in us. Then he goes on. He wants to produce that goodness in us. That's the character of Jesus. Jesus, the Bible said, went about doing good. And the Holy Spirit says, okay, I want to help you to go about doing good. Boy, I'll tell you, we need a good old-fashioned dose of goodness in our life. The Holy Spirit longs to cause us to be good. Now, I'm not up here talking down to a bunch of children. Now, 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 you be good now, you hear? But I promise you this, you yield your life to the Holy Spirit. He'll reproduce goodness in your life as well. And then there's the next word, and that's the word faithfulness. That is the consistency of Jesus. Let me tell you something. Folks that you see that hardly ever come to church, by the way, isn't it good to have Jack and Bonnie Guthrie back with us? Hey, they're coming back. They're coming back. They brought some folks off. Y'all called these folks from Wisconsin over here last night over there in Madison, Wisconsin, invited them to church. They got up early this morning and drove over here to church, and they're thinking about joining before they drive back tonight. And go. No, I'm kidding about all that. But uh, you know something? We ought to be faithful as God's people. Boy, there ought to be some consistency in our life. I know it's been dangerous, or, or at least what we've been told. And, and we've been told the only place in the world you can come and, and get sick is at church. The only place you can catch a virus is over here at church. And sad but true, people have bought into that nonsense, haven't they? So they don't come to church, but they run to Walmart, and they go to Target, and they go to Lowe's, and they go to Food Line, and they go to uh, Coronet Seafood, and they go to McDonald's. But don't you go to church now. You'll catch the virus over there. Not with this hydrogen peroxide we got falling out of this roof around here. No, sir. Hey, we ought to be faithful. And by the way, we ought to just learn to trust God. Uh, there's going to come. Hey, we're safe. She sang about it. We're safe in the arms of Jesus. You can't threaten us with heaven. We're God's people. Amen. Consistency of Jesus. And then look at this one. Last time it was meekness. That was the consideration of Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit longs to produce all of this in our lives. And that brings us tonight to the last word in this list, verse number 9, uh, verse number 23. The ninth flavor of this fruit is the word temperance. And I'm calling temperance, I'm calling it the control of Jesus. The control of of Jesus. You see, as you and I, and I, hang on for just a minute, but as, as we yield our life day by day to the Holy Spirit, as we surrender to Him, as uh, we give way to Him, as we, uh, as we just uh, allow Him to have His fullness in our life, He works within us to produce something that is called temperance. Now, I want you to notice the word is not tolerance. And 50,000 people ought to jump up right now and say amen. The Holy Spirit doesn't work in our life to produce tolerance. He works in our life to produce temperance. Can I say a word about tolerance for just a minute? I believe in tolerance as it used to be defined. 
You know, it used to be that you were, you, if you were tolerant, uh, maybe, you, you, maybe you believed something. You believed one way, and maybe somebody else didn't believe that way, and that's their right. They can choose to believe like that if they want to, and we tolerated that. We tolerated them making that choice in their life. But that's no longer what the word tolerance means anymore. The word tolerance in our day means this. You believe your way. They believe their way. Their way is just as right as your way. Their way is just as truth as your way, and you've got to accept the way that they believe. And we call that tolerance. Well, let me tell you something, friend. If a man believes that Governor Cooper has died on the cross so they could die one day and go to heaven, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to believe that. I don't care how much they believe that. They believe that all they want to. That's their choice. But I don't believe that. I'm not going to tolerate that. I'm not going to invite somebody like, like that to come over here and preach at our church. We don't tolerate that untruth around here. Now, don't be mad at me, but I'm just telling you, I believe in, I believe in getting along with people. But, buddy, I'll tell you, there's some lines. There's some, there's some perimeters I'm not going to cross to please anybody. You can call me a bigot. You can call me racist. You can call me intolerant. You know, about the worst thing anybody can be called in our day is to be called intolerant. You can call all that. You, you can get mad at me about all that if you want to. Write me letters, whatever. But I'm just going to say, truth is still truth. And it doesn't matter if they believe it or don't believe it. If the Bible said it, it's the Word of God, Romans 3, verse 4, let God be true and every man a liar. And if they step outside of that book, they are wrong. And I'm not swallowing it, man. And by the way, I don't have to swallow it. I don't think, you know, they got these signs on the back of bumpers. Now, I'll get off this in a minute. But they got these signs on bumpers, and it said tolerance. And it's got, uh, uh, it's got a cross on it, and it's got the crescent moon of, the, uh, the, uh, of Islam, the Muslims, and it's got the six-sided star of David for Judaism, and it's got those things for that uh, witchcraft and, and the Wicca and, and all those things. And then it spells out, tolerance. In other words, what they're saying, man, they're just as right as anybody else and we just need to get over it. Every, all roads are leading to God and everybody's heading in the same direction. You go your way, I'll go my way and we'll all get there. Let's just get along. Can I just say a good Greek word on that? Baloney. There's one way to heaven that's through Jesus Christ. I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican or a communist or a socialist. It don't matter. If you're going to heaven, there's one way and one way only, and his name is Jesus. No religion's going to get you there. Heaven's not like Winston-Salem. I know there's all kind of roads that run into this city. But, friend, we're not talking about the city of Winston-Salem. We're talking about the city of God. And there's only one highway that'll get you there. And that highway is Calvary Boulevard. That's the only way to get there. And I'm intolerant of anybody or any, uh, any belief that says there's another way to get there. Don't, 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 don't put that on my car. I'll take my bumper off, bless God. I'm not going to tolerate that. And I, hey, look, look, in the America we used to have, you didn't have to tolerate it. And I'm going to even tell you this, in this new America, I still ain't going to tolerate it. The Holy Spirit is not trying to produce within us tolerance so we can just get along with everybody. I want to get along with everybody, but I'm going to stand on truth. I'm not going to be abrasive about it. I'm not going to be harsh. I'm not going to be ugly about it. But I'm just going to stand where the Bible stands. And if you're outside of that, don't be mad at me. You're wrong. Amen. The Holy Spirit is not trying to produce within us something called tolerance. He's trying to produce something within us called temperance.
Now, there is a daylight dark difference between tolerance and temperance. So let's tonight talk about what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in our lives. Let's talk, number one, talking about the word temperance. Let's talk, number one, about the definition of temperance. The definition of temperance. Now, normally, in fact, you look it up in a dictionary, and I did this week, most of the time, the word temperance is equated or is, it's uh, uh, equated with alcohol. That's right. And in fact, temperance, they say, is, is abstaining from alcohol. I looked up the word temperance in the Webster's Dictionary, and it simply said abstinence from alcohol. And I looked it up in the Cambridge Dictionary, and it said not drinking alcohol because you believe it's wrong. And most people equate the word temperance with alcohol. Uh, Y'all probably don't know this dear man that I'm talking about. He's in heaven now, but his name was Sheldon Jones. And I used to have Sheldon Jones to come preach revivals for me when I pastored my first church down in the middle part of our, our state here. And I'd get old brother Sheldon to come preach revival. He was a Cherokee Indian, and he went everywhere preaching against alcohol. I mean, man, I believe Brother Don Collins used to have him at Friendly Chapel. And I mean, everywhere Brother Jones went, he preached against liquor. He preached about prohibition. He preached against the evils of alcohol. And people threatened his life. He had his eye, one eye looked straight. The other eye kind of looked off this way because somebody got mad at him one night, tried to kill him, throwed a watermelon at him off a bridge trying to kill him because he was preaching against alcohol. I'm telling you, that old boy could knock alcohol like none that I've ever heard knock alcohol. And everywhere he went, he preached these what he called temperance crusades. And he preached against alcohol. And can I just stop just a moment while I'm right here and say thank God for preaching against alcohol. I know, I know it's almost become a bygone message in the church of our day. There's so much other stuff going on, pornography and adultery and homosexuality and, and gambling and all. I get it, all that stuff. We don't hear much about alcohol, but every once in a while I just want to clear off a place on the front porch and say, I'm against it. And the Bible's against it. It'll rot your guts out. It's brewed in hell. And friend, it'll destroy your life. There's not a child of God in this building ought to have anything, any association with alcohol. Not any of us in here. Amen. I believe the Bible teaches total abstinence when it comes to the subject of alcohol. And brother, we, you'd, be, you'd be well to listen to what the Bible said. I'm telling you, the Bible preaches against it, teaches against alcohol. In fact, the Bible said it's like a serpent. It's coiled up. It'll bite you at the last, sink its fangs into you, destroy you with its venom. And God's people ought to have nothing to do with alcohol. Amen. Still true to this very day. I'll tell you what the Bible said. The Bible says it's right here. Where, whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Can you honestly tell me you can turn up a bottle of liquor and right before you look, look up to heaven and say, God, I'm about to drink this to the glory of God. I'm telling you the history of alcohol is a history of destruction and misery and woe. The first time we really become acquainted with it is back in the days of Noah, right after he stepped off the ark and planted that vineyard. 
And he went out, and, and I don't know, some people say he didn't know what he was doing. I don't know about all that, but I do know he made, he made alcohol. He got drunk off of it. And then his son, his son Ham went in and uncovered the nakedness of his father. And if you read in Leviticus chapter 17, that phrase, uncover nakedness, is a phrase that identifies a sexual, some kind of a sexual activity. And what happened, old Ham went into the tent and committed a homosexual act on his own daddy, and his own daddy cursed him. But I'm here to tell you, it wouldn't have happened had there not been alcohol in the midst. It is a history of woe and misery and destruction. I'm telling you, friend, it'll, it'll ruin your life quicker than anything I know of. I'm talking about that old alcohol tonight. You know, they tell us this. You can go ahead and blow up at me if you want to, but while I'm right here, I'm just going to go and drop a bomb on this. But can I tell you this? They tell us that one out of every 12 people who takes the first drink will become an alcoholic. They'll become a drunk. One out of every 12. Now you stop and think about that. Let's say in the morning you had to catch a flight out of PTI and you were flying somewhere and Right when they set in and the pilot comes on and said, okay, now fashion your seatbelt. We're getting ready to get out of here. But just got to, let me just say this right before we leave. When we reach 30,000 feet in the air, one out of every 12 seats in this, this plane is going to fall out. There's going to become a hole in the floor. It's just going to drop out of this plane. You're going to fall 30,000 feet. Can I ask you something? Are you going to get on that plane? I ain't getting on that plane. I mean, Lord help if one out of one out of every seat on that plane. I mean, man, I ain't getting on that plane. I got more sense than that. Abraham Lincoln said, only a fool will put that into his mouth, which will destroy his brain. I'm telling you, temperance, whatever you want to, how you want to identify it, God's people were saved. We're on our way to heaven. God saved us out of that mess. God changed our life from that mess. And buddy, we got no business drinking alcohol. None of us do. I remember years ago. Here at our church, I'm not going to call their name. Years ago, I found out that one of our members went to the grocery store and bought beer. And they did so to mix some kind of concoction and poured it on their yard. Said it's supposed to make their grass grow better. Well, when I found out about it, I got up in the pulpit. And you know what I said. I said, low down your hind end. You want to kill your grass without alcohol. You got no business buying it to start with. Our church covenant says we abstain from the sale and use of intoxicating drink as a beverage. I mean, buddy, we take an oath when we join this church. No alcohol for me. And if you say, well, I joined, I didn't know that. We'll give you your membership back if you want to drink. Something around here is grieving the Holy Ghost anyway. I don't know what it is, whether it's that dumb Facebook or alcohol or weed or shacking up. Something's grieving the Holy Spirit, and I'm just blessed God trying to preach against everything I can right now. Yes, sir. So, what was I preaching on now? Yeah, tithing, getting back to tithing now. That's why we ain't paying our tithe. That's why the Holy Spirit. Temperance. So what does it mean? Well, as I said a moment ago, most people think it's equated uh, with alcohol. But the word temperance means more than just ab abstinence from alcohol. In the Bible, the word temperance simply means self-control. But it, it even is more than that. We're not talking about a natural self-control. We're talking about a supernatural self-control. I got to thinking of it like this. Go back to verse 22. 
And look at all nine of these flavors of this fruit that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in our lives. And every one of these flavors of this fruit is unnatural to us. For instance, love. I don't know about you, but it's easier for me to hate than it is for me to love. Can I have an amen? What about the word joy? It's easier for me to be depressed, to be discouraged than it is to have joy. What about that word peace? It's easy for me to, to be all upset and anxious and fretful and worried. It's more easy on me. It's unnatural to have peace. What about the word long-suffering? Look at me. Are you kidding me? What about the word gentle, gentleness, there in verse number 22? Uh, gentleness, that ain't my DNA. What about the word goodness? Goodness, no way, Jose. What about the word faithfulness? I got other things to do. What about the word meekness? No comprende. I'm telling you, none of this, none of this comes natural to us. And if, and, and if we're going to possess these things, it's going to have to be from a supernatural source. And buddy, when it comes to the subject of, of temperance, I'm telling you, it's easier to let go than it is to hold back. Come on. Don't drop your head. Some of y'all use them four-letter words around here. You spout off, you get angry at the drop of a hat. You and your wife can't get along. I mean, it's just like two bulldogs every time you get in the same house. I'm telling you, you can't control your anger. Your anger is out of control. And by the way, in America anymore, anger is out of control. People are angry. By the way, I get some of that. I'm mad about some stuff. I got mad back at election. And I ain't got over it yet. I'm mad about this. Them, them, them crazy people in Washington trying to cram all this stuff down our throats. I don't know about you, but I'm ticked about that. But wait a minute, I'm ticked under control. I'm not going to go out and rent me a U-Haul truck, get a bunch of nitrogen fertilizer and put it in the back, put a bomb in the middle of it and blow a half a building up. Hey, man, that ain't God's plan. Hey, I'm supposed to have love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and long-suffering and, and all of that stuff. That's not who I am. Yes, I'm mad. Yes, I'm ticked. Yes, I think they're trying to cram something down our throat. Yes, I wish they would shut up. Yes, I wish they would let us alone. But hear me and hear me well. I'm not going to go get an AR-15 and go out and shoot 15 people just because I'm mad about some stuff. Keep it under control. How you going to do it? I can't. I got the guns loaded now. How you going to keep it under control? Man, I'm just going to have to give myself to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to have to allow Him to produce within me something called temperance. Hardly a day goes by anymore that we don't hear about some mass shooting in America. Just this week, California... Something about the guy, they said, had made some racist remarks. He goes in with a, uh, uh, some kind of a rifle, and he kills off eight or ten people. Just down in Miami today, there was a mass shooting down there. Multiple people were injured. Multiple people are dead. People's anger is completely out of control. Whatever happened to temperance? And the only way that you and I can, can have temperance is to yield ourselves to the filling of the Holy Spirit and allow Him to produce that within us. By the way, the church ain't much better than the world. 
I read just the other week that on any given Sunday in America, the 911 receives 90 calls from churches for the police to respond to break up fights in the church. We're out of control. We must yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. The definition of temperance, it's a supernatural self-control. Let me give you my definition of it. We'll wrap this up. Temperance is the ability to act and react to any given situation in a way that glorifies God. Can I tell you what that, that says to me? Ouch. I'm afraid there's a lot of times I don't act in a way that glorifies God. I'm afraid there's a lot of times in my life I don't react. Y'all pray for me. I'm a work in progress. But I tell you, bless your heart, if we, want, if we want temperance, we can only find it as we yield. The definition of it. I want to talk, number two, about not only the definition of it, but I want to talk about the disposition of temperance. Where can we look and find out what temperance really is in our Bible? Well, man, you don't have to think long and hard. The Lord Jesus had the disposition of temperance. Can I say this about Jesus? No matter where he was at, no matter what was going on, he was always under control. Can I tell you something? Let me mention one word, and let me show you the control of Jesus. Calvary. We know he didn't have to go through that. He didn't have to die on that cross. He didn't have to go through what he went through before he ever reached the cross. That beating there in the home of Caiaphas, that mocking, the spitting, running off his face, the buffeting, they blindfolded him and they buffeted him with a reed. They beat him back and forward. They, they gouged the hairs on his face out till there were gaping holes in the side of his face, probably teeth missing, eyes swollen shut. He did not have to go through that. You know what he could have done? He could have just said the word and vaporized the whole crowd but he was under control. You know, when he got to Calvary, six hours when he hung on Calvary, I mean, I think about when he got there and that crowd was jeering and, man, they were laughing and cheering that he was on the cross. And uh, Jesus could have looked at that crowd and said, okay, this is your Golgotha, but I'll have my Armageddon. You can count on that. You go ahead and put me in the grave. I'll put you in hell some of these days. But none of that. The first thing he said on the cross was about forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they know not. Under control. Can I ask you something? How in the world could Jesus, I know he was God, but he was in a human body. If that would have been me, wouldn't you have at least had to said, buddy, don't hit me with that stick no more. Wouldn't you have at least had to said, you spit on me one more time. I mean, he could have at least just said, uh, at least just said, uh, uh, y'all go ahead and laugh, but I'll have the last laugh. But the whole time of Calvary, the worst entire moments of his life, he was under control. Can I read to you some of the most amazing verses about Calvary, and they're not even in the four Gospels? But let me read them to you. Look at these verses. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Watch this. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. 
but he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. You know what he did? Jesus said this, I'm not going to threaten. They're threatening me. I'm just going to suffer in silence. And as a lamb before her shears is done, he opened not his mouth. He just simply thought to himself, I'll let God handle it. I'll let, that's committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. I'll just have to let God take care of it. You and I are constantly confronted with situations in our life that there's no answer for. I mean, if we lose it, if we allow ourselves to get out of control, I mean, we're going to hurt our testimony, bring reproach on the name of Christ. There are some things we ought to have enough control about to say, can't do nothing about it. I'm just going to have to let God handle it. Hey, I'm talking about he was, he was power under control. And then let me close with this, the, the, the definition, the disposition. But could I just mention this? You know, somebody once said this, the hardest victory, and yet the greatest victory that you and I will ever win is the victory over self. Would you do this one final time? Humor me, and we're done with this. And I know you're probably saying, thank God this one's over with. But will you, will you do me a favor and let me show you what life is going to be like if you let self control it. Look back to verse 19. You let self control your life. You let self get out of control, and here's your life, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh, let me say it like this, the works of, of self are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. You let self get out of control. That's your life. The reason some of us in this auditorium tonight are in such a mess is we let self run the show. Come on. We let self get out of control. And let me tell you something. When self gets out of control, your life gets out of control. That's the reason that every day of our life we have to yield to the Holy Spirit. We have to surrender, submit, yield to Him. If we don't, and self runs the show. We're going to wind up in verse 19, 20, and 21 in all kind of a mess and all kind of drama. How many of y'all, can I ask you something? I, I want to ask, I've always wanted to ask church this. I want to ask, do y'all like drama? Do you like that mess? You know something, I, I think about preachers sometime, and man, preachers get, they get mad at each other and, and all that stuff. I'm so thankful and, and, and I'm, I don't want to say this arrogantly at all, but I'm so thankful that, that I pastor a church over here and nobody knows us, that I don't have to get caught up in whose camp I'm going to be in and who I'm going to follow and, and who's, who's going to be my preacher posse. And I'm so glad I ain't worried about none of that. You know what? I, I want to, if I can, y'all pray for me. I just want to please God. 
And if preachers like me and want me to come hold revival, that's good. And if they don't want me to, hey, I got enough preaching going on around here. I ain't hunting a place to preach. And I don't say that arrogantly, but I just, I just want to please God. I don't want to get caught up in drama. You can have all that political preacher stuff you want to have. I just want to stay over here, try to preach the Bible and try to help our church and, and just hope God works. And that's all I'm interested in. Amen. The fruit of the Spirit. Man, temperance, self-control. God help me to get myself under control. And the only way to do that is for the Holy Spirit to do it. I can't do it on my own. I ain't strong enough. And look at me. Bubba, you ain't neither. Only the Holy Spirit can do it. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you tonight for the Bible. These weeks that we...